collection cards at, um, at, at, at Packenham and I thought, well, I'll go and give him a hand. So I went down there for an hour and said, you go and have a you know, cup of tea or have a rest. And I, get, I got told to go and get effed three times in an hour just for handing out election cards. <laughs> because I said, here, Australian Christian Party, no, go get, what, just for standing up for God. Like they didn't say that to the Labor guy, didn't say that to the Liberal guy, got to me, I hand the card out and it's like, and I realised, like sometimes you don't, it's not till you walk in another man's shoes that you realise the tough road that they travel. So I want to let you in on my world for a little bit trying to preach something that's in season, week in, week out, week in, week out. Something that builds people up. Something that brings something of God's truth. Something that will encourage people, but won't compromise the integrity of God. Something that inspires people, doesn't put them to sleep. You know, you guys all walk in here with a great expectation. I walk in here going, I can only do my best. (laughs) And it's a tough gig sometimes, but it's really great when the rest of the service tells you that what you've prepared is right. And so the message that I've got today is not actually the Christmas story, although it's part of the Christmas story, and I want you to look at it with me. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the Jewish custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and with man. Now, this is the story that only Luke wrote about. And you've sort of got to take a step back and go, well, if he was the only one and he included it, why did he include it? And what message was he trying to get us to understand? So he obviously had, a, had an intention in, in writing this story, in, in giving us something of God. Now, this is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? And I don't know if you've ever lost your kids in the supermarket, but it's not fun. You know, that, that, sh- that, that sheer terror that comes over you that someone could have grabbed my kid or nabbed my kid or if they were like my kids, like Sam, he'd hide in amongst all the clothes and think it was fun to scare you, something like that. But you get the whole idea. I mean, any of you that have followed the Morecambe story about Daniel Morecambe and have seen the pain and the agony that those parents have gone through, You understand what it's like to have a lost son. I'm not surprised that Mary turned up and said, Jesus, what are you doing to us? What are you treating us like this? The commotion of the extended family. Imagine going to all your relatives saying, have you seen Jesus? We've lost him. Um, You don't have him, do you? Like, 
not a very good parent. But in those days, people just travelled together and then they had to frantically rush back to Jerusalem. They get there and here's Jesus in the temple, surrounded by all the great minds of the day and they're amazed at his answers and the questions that he was giving. And Mary and Joseph are astonished. They're going, is this our son? Is this our boy here doing this? And then we begin to get why Luke is putting this story in because Jesus is discovering who he is. And think about it. He wasn't born knowing he was the son of God. He had to discover his identity as he grew. He had to get his head around who he was, why he was sent, what his mission was. He wasn't an all-knowing God. He gave up some of that to become flesh, to become one of us. So here's Jesus in the temple searching out the scriptures, asking the Pharisees and the Sadducees to give him an insight into who he was. And he begins to realise that he's the son of God. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And we get this, I guess, the reason I think Luke put it in there was to get us to see the human side of Jesus, the humanity of a young boy who was subject to parents and a lifestyle, just like any other 12-year-old boy. He had to grow. And yet what we realise is that in, in his humanity, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favour with God and with favour with men. So really he was an apprentice learning to follow his master, to follow his father and to be about the father's business. And so the interesting thing is that the scriptures are completely silent for 18 years of Jesus' life. We don't know anything. We don't know anything from his birth till the day he started his ministry except this one little snippet about who he was and what he was up to. And, and, and it's just an amazing thing that we see a young boy of 12 years old who's already got his head around the place where he's going to grow the most, the place where he needs to be is in the presence of God. In your presence. He understood that at 12 years of age. That's why he was there. He wasn't there to be rebellious to his mum and dad. He was there because he understood that his life calling was to be about his father's business. And in that point of the theology of God, the presence of God was in the temple. So he knew that's where he had to be. If he was going to grow in God, if he was going to get the answers, if he was going to grow in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and in favour with men, he knew he had to be in the temple. And we get in this one little short statement, Luke gives us the four major fields of man's activity. To grow in wisdom is mentally to grow. To grow in stature is physically to grow up into a man, but it has to do a lot with having a reputation of someone who's got integrity and is, and is, is a solid man. And then we get this idea of having the favour of God on your life. So he was growing spiritually and then he had the favour of man. So socially, when he interacted with people, whether they be his peers or you know the teachers of the law, whoever it was, the scriptures say that Jesus grew in wisdom, grew in stature, grew in favour with God and grew in favour with man. And that's the redeemed life. Because if we don't have all four of them, the language of this passage is about a trailblazer. Um, the Greek words in it are about chopping down trees and advancing. And what I think we get from 
what little glimpse we get of Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and favour with God as favourite. He was trailblazing a path that we need to follow. We need to be people of wisdom. Now, I can tell you from standing at that election booth yesterday, there's a lot of fools in this world. A lot of people that think what they're doing is right in their own mind, but the scripture says it will only bring them death. I think Paul got 1.8% of the vote. Okay, so, we, so statistically, that's probably a fairly accurate figure for the Christians in this nation. We're probably about 2%. We're the ones supposedly carrying the wisdom of God. So we're a minority of people, but we need that wisdom more than anything else. There's a lot of foolish Christians out there. A lot of people making choices about their lifestyle, the things where they invest their time, where they invest their money, what their, their lifestyle that they're living. There's a lot of foolish Christians that are lacking wisdom. We need wisdom so much because blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. But do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. You know, the prophet Amos said that the days will come when there'll be a famine in the land. And the famine in the land won't be for bread or thirst for water. It'll be for hearing the wisdom, the counsel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, as I get horrified when I hear some of the doctrines that are starting to immerse in our nation, in our region. There's a movement going around at the moment called the Glory Movement. Some of you will begin to hear about it. It's called Gnosticism. It's mysticism. It's experiential encounters with people that I think they are trying to bring people to God, but it's not God at all. It's witchcraft. And it's got the guise of Christianity. And if we don't have wisdom, we don't see that. We need wisdom more than anything else because in the last days, many false prophets will rise up. You know, people will be lovers of money. They won't be lovers of God's word. They won't want to be corrected. They won't want to live disciplined lifestyles. They won't want to make choices that are unpopular. But that's the road that we're heading to and we're getting to that point very quickly in this nation and in the world that we live in. And we need to be wise, really wise. Really wise about the way that we live. So how do you get wisdom? I only know one way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I wonder if we did a little exercise this morning and got everyone just to name the books of the Bible. How do you reckon you'd go? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Did you learn the song when you were kids? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
But if we don't even know the books of the Bible, then how do we know the content of the Bible? And if we don't know the content of the Bible, how do we know what God wants for us? We've got to be people that are people of the Word. And I don't mean the old-fashioned you know, Bible bashing type of thing. I mean, just understand what God's ways are, who God is, who his character is, what his moral fiber is, what he expects of us. Like if we don't know that, then what roadmap are we living by? And people aren't people of the word anymore. You ask people, oh, I'm really struggling with God. I'm struggling in life. Well, how much time do you spend in Bible study? How much time do you spend in devotion? Oh, not much. I read my Bible about three weeks ago. Oh, wisdom Like, it's not rocket science. That's what God calls us to do, to be people of the word. Yes, I want to see a church that's full of the spirit of God and full of the encounter of God, but it comes out of a foundation of being grounded and rooted in the word of God. And we're becoming a flaky Christian group because we don't know the word of God. And if I can encourage you to do anything, it's getting to God's word. Jesus answered, he's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We need to esteem the Word of God a lot higher than we have been and get into it. So do your best to present yourselves to God as an approved worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. One of the things that is going to divide Christendom very soon is the debate about homosexuality. You can already see it on Facebook going. There's people's opinions going everywhere. Your opinion and my opinion doesn't count. It doesn't count. My interpretation of what God says doesn't count. God's nature has not changed from day one until today. He hates sin. Whether that be homosexuality or alcoholism or lying or stealing, God hates it. He just hates it. And he despises it. And we're pursuing a holy God. So anything that comes between us and God needs to be dealt with. It doesn't mean we don't have an open door policy in the church. Like Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, where are the people that judge you? Where, where, where are your accusers? They're not here, are they? Take a look around. She looked around. No, there's no one here. And Jesus said to her, and here's the key, go and sin no more. So whatever context we have, it's really simple. The wisdom is simple. We're pursuing a holy God, and if it's not holy, then we need to be transformed doesn't mean we judge people, doesn't mean we condemn them, doesn't mean we don't love them, but we're pursuing a holy God. And we cannot become tolerant of anything that is counter contrary to the nature of God. The way that we do that needs to be wisely done. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that are destroying people because in the name of the Lord, you, you know, they're, they're condemning people. We're not here to condemn people. But we are here to raise up a standard and that cannot be compromised. And you will be challenged to compromise the truth of God because those days are coming where it's not popular to say we believe. It's not popular to say we have a standard. If the world loves it, then be cautious. Because Jesus said, what did he say? The world will despise you. They'll hate you because of me. We need to learn how to love people and embrace them. But we need to do that in such a way that we don't ever compromise the truth of God. And it's a big subject that we're going to have to deal with as a church somewhere along the line. But we need men and women who are consistently immersed in the Word of God and growing in the knowledge of their Father's ways and their purposes. And I don't know any other way to grow 
in God. We've got to be people of the word if we want to have wisdom. Growing in stature. It's interesting that Luke used exactly the same words that were used of the prophet Samuel. That he grew in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. And it in part relates to physical growth and it in part relates to character growth. That, that Samuel and Jesus had a reputation. It was a good reputation. It was a reputation that when your name came up in conversation, people's assessment of you was, that's a person with integrity. Yeah, Jesus, he's an honest, obedient, hardworking, respectful person. Now, we need to be people of good reputation. It's actually one of the qualifications for being a leader in the church that, that people outside the church should speak well of us. And so I don't mean we should be going around trying to be you know, man-pleasers. We need to be God-pleasers. But in being God-pleasers, what will happen is that the characteristics of Christ oozing out of us, people will actually see it. It's a fragrance. It's a flavour of God that people will see. We need to be people of great stature in the community. I don't know what you thought of the election and the speeches and all the politicians, you know, fluffy language, but, but to me, they're not men of stature. And we need men of stature and women of stature, people of great integrity, great honesty, great purity to stand up in our nation. And the scriptures say, like, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So there's a, there's a physicality about our pursuit of God that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit and we're not to abuse them. And Jesus put his body... Now, if anybody knew about physicality, it was Jesus because he never had physicality. He was a spirit that became flesh and he put his flesh in the place where he knew he would grow, in the Father's presence. So do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. It amazes me that people don't come to church. Oh, I'm a Christian. But they make their mind up on a Sunday morning where they're going to spend their time. Oh, we'll see what the weather's like. No. No, no, no. If we're going to be wise people, then we should be found not forsaking the gathering together of the body. But we should be here. Or if it's not here in the church where God's called you to be, we need to be faithful people that come week after week after week to honour our God. Not, not for any other reason than it's true worship to discipline our time, to set apart that day to be holy and honour God. That's how we're going to grow in stature. Be people of the word and be obedient people that follow that word and live out our lives. And growing in favour with God. So Jesus grew spiritually, we know that. We know that because Luke includes this story, I think, to demonstrate to us that even in the mind, an adolescent mind of a 12-year-old, he grasped the important with the importance with the wisdom that he did have that positioning himself in the temple was where he was going to grow. That's pretty big for a 12-year-old kid, hey? You know, he could have been out with his relatives, having fun on the road to Jerusalem or whatever they was doing, but he made a choice to be about his father's business. That's where his priority was. He only did what his father told him to do. And I guess it's the pattern that Jesus set up for us to follow. What is it to get the favour of God? It's to do what God asks us to do, to be in the place where God's called us to be. And that commitment that he expressed was the highest commitment to relationship. Like, mum and dad, where else would I be? 
but doing my father's business. He was doing the things that pleased the father's heart. If you didn't know about Philip Hughes, you haven't watched much television this week. A young man that was struck down in the prime of his life. Now, I don't know if you've listened to people talking about that young man, but he had favour with men. He had a good reputation. I haven't heard anybody say anything else but what a lovely young man he was. What a, you know, a country boy with great you know, integrity, um, really desired to be the best person that he could be. He had favour with men. He had a great reputation. But I wonder where he is now. Did he have the wisdom to know? It's all right to have the favour of men, but if you don't have the counsel of the Most High God, what good is it? It's a really sad story that we've had to face this week. But we must have a good reputation with outsiders so that we will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I guess when you boil this all down, if Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, then the whole premise of relationship is that we've got to be people that are growing, growing in wisdom, growing in stature, growing in favour with God and with people. And I don't know anything, any other way than to be in relationship with the Lord every day, as every moment. Day in, day out, week in, week out. And if we're not in that place, I don't know how we can fulfill the things that God has for us. He's going to prune us back. And we need to be people that are growing in God and be tucked into the Lord and be in his presence every day. I, I love this story. And the reason why I love this story is because it's full of frantic people rushing around trying to find their child. It's very much like the Christmas that we have. Lots of busyness, lots of stuff that's out of control. And you know, the, the thing that amazes me about this story is that Joseph and Mary forgot who Jesus was. It's like they had a brain fade. Why are you doing this to us? Why would you be here? And Jesus said, well, I'm going to be about my father's. It's like they forgot they had a visitation from an angel. It's like they forgot everything that had happened at his birth. It's like, what went wrong? And I guess that's like us. We can very easily just forget what the main thing is. We can forget what the call on our life is, is to be about our father's business. And, and I guess we've got to really ask the question, and this is the right time to year to do it, is, is am I about my father's business? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, it's, it's the simplicity of what we come back to. And I think that's why Luke put that phrase in there. I must be about my father's business. We've got to ask that question. Am I about my father's business? Are the things I'm doing in my life are they serving the purpose for which God put me on this planet? And if they're not, then they're a waste of time. The scripture said, but each one should build their life with great care for no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet he will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. What a full-on verse of scripture. God is going to test everything that we do time that we've spent, what we've invested our time into, the things that we've given our heart and soul to, the things we've sweated for, the blood that we've poured out. So all the fences that Ed has ever built, praise God for all those fences, but they don't count for eternity. They'll burn. Every house and possession that we have, think of all the energy and the time we waste on stuff. It's just going to burn. The businesses that we build up, the things we invest our life into, are they going to stand the test of fire? Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. And it's not materialism. It's not wasting time. We need to be in his presence. Because God's got work for us to do. And we need to know what that calling is on our life and be fulfilling fulfilling that. So what has God called us to do to advance the kingdom? What's the thing that you've been put on the face of this planet to do. So did God put Ed on the face of this planet to build fences? Is that the fulfilment? Is that the grand design for Ed? Is that the climax for your life? It's just something that you do to put food on the table. God has a vision for your life that's to do with the kingdom and it will last for eternity, the fruit thereof. And that goes for every one of us. We've got to be really careful that we don't just get caught up like Mary and Joseph in the busyness of life and forget to be about our father's business and to be really sure. You know, one of the things that scares me more than anything else in Christendom is if you ask someone what God has called them to do, most people don't know. They honestly don't know. They're not being... They just don't know. If I was to ask you to write down what your life calling is from God, like in the season that you're in now, what has God called you to do for the kingdom? If you don't know, then we're wasting time. And that's not wisdom. And that's what Jesus was demonstrating in this little thing, that when you, when you boil it all down, the investment has to be pursuing the Father's business, whatever that is for us. Might be raising kids. Could be making a business to make money for the kingdom, because it's going to be a variety of things, but if we're not locked onto that one thing, then you'd hate to get to the end and waste it, wouldn't you? So when you come to Christmas this year and we do the New Year's resolutions and we reflect on the stories, keep asking yourself, is what I'm doing with my time and my talent and my treasure, is it the business that God's given me to do for this kingdom? And if the answer is no, change it, shift it, be transformed, take a career change, do whatever's necessary to be about your father's business because it's the only thing that's going to count for eternity. Don't waste the opportunity that we've got because the days are evil. And there's a lot of people that are just unravelling because they can't get a lock on the target that God's given them. And so this morning what I thought would be really nice to do is just to give people an opportunity to have some prayer. 
The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. What that means is where people don't have a sense of what God has called them to do, then there's like anarchy. There's just aimlessness. And we need to know what God's called us to do so we don't waste it. Like there's no good Mark and Cheryl building a church in officer if God wants us to be in Zambia. We're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I believe God has intentional purpose for every one of us sitting here today. And we should be about the Father's business because that's where we'll be fulfilled. That's where God will meet us. That's where the favour of God will be. That's where the favour of man will be because we will be complete in what God's called us to do. Whether that's teaching kids in schools, it doesn't matter the context. It's just being able to say, am I doing the thing that God's called me to do today? And how can you know that unless you know the Father? You cannot. Why don't we bow our heads this morning? Father, I want to thank you that before the foundation of time, you predestined us individually to have a mission, to have an assignment on, the, on this earth. We weren't put here for aimlessness. We weren't put here for things of this world. We were put here to advance a kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And Father, help us not to get distracted. Help us not to get overwhelmed by just existing in this world. But Lord, help us to rise above that and break out of that and to see what Jesus saw was the need to be about his father's business, even to the neglect of his own family. And Father, I want to pray today that for people that have just got a little bit off track, that have forgotten the dreams and the visions that you've put in their heart, have forgotten the purpose that you've imparted into them. Lord, today would you rekindle their fire to be about your business. Lord, would today, would you reignite vision? Would you lift people's vision higher, God, so they can see beyond just the mundane of this world? And a lot of the things that we've got to do, Lord, we, just, we do them because they're necessary to get you know, food on the table and get kids to school and, and all that stuff. But God, above that, there's got to be your business that you've called us to. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just draw people back into that place that you have for them, in your presence, where all fear is gone. Lord, we don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to waste the opportunities that you've given to us. Father, we want to be people of great purpose, of great intention, of taking up the baton that you've given for us to play our part in advancing the kingdom, to play our part in the body of Christ. And Lord, today we just come back and say, Lord, teach us how to be about your business. Give me a personal vision for this season of my life. So Lord, I know where to invest my time and my effort and my energy. And Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and impart 
Come and inspire. Come and renew. Come and reinvigorate people. So that the hurts of the past and the disillusionment and the discouragement and just the busyness of life that's robbed us, God will be replaced with people that are passionate and certain about what they're called to do and committed and devoted and, and just sold out for the Father's business. Well, we want that to be our heart's cry today, that we are pursuing the Father's heart for our life. I wonder today if it's just a good opportunity for us to just make a declaration that, Lord, I want to be about what you've called me to do. Maybe you just, yeah, just life's just overrun you and it's been so much on your plate that just the things of God and being sold out for the Lord's just got put on the back burner. It happens to all of us. I just have a sense today that You know, doing the Christian life's not easy and we get tired. You know, scriptures say don't grow weary in doing good because at the right time you'll reap a harvest. I mean, we all get tired at this time of year. It's been a big year. Just doing family, just doing life and then adding on the things that God might call us to do. Sometimes it's just plate doesn't seem big enough. God's been speaking to you today. I just want you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I just want you to stand up. Could be the Lord saying you just got off track a bit and it's time to get back. Could be you really don't know what you're supposed to be doing with your life or this season. Maybe the things that you've been investing into are just, they're just hollow. It just seems like you're just going around in circles and never really getting to where you want to be or where you know God wants you to be. I am so convinced that God has a personal assignment for every person. I will go to my grave believing that we are not people that are aimless. Because if God created us for good works before the foundation of times, then he knows. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He knows them. We need to people that know what God has called us to do. Not be fearful, not be doubting, not to be confused, not to be dismayed, but to know. So Father, today I want to thank you for everyone that stood up. Lord, you do have vision and you do have purpose and you do have intention that you want us to be about the Father's business. And the word that I had this week week, was sometimes to amplify the things that God has called us to do. We need to simplify our lives. 
We all want to be people that are magnifying God with our lives. We all want to be people that are seeing the kingdom of God advance. But sometimes we've got to simplify our lifestyles to let that happen. Father, I want to thank you for each and every one here today. Lord, I want to pray for them. That, Father, that their minds would not be confused about the purposes to which you have called them. Father, whether it be their career or whether it be about the giftings that you've given them, Father, whether it be a question of where their time is invested, Lord, I want to pray for deep roots to begin to grow today, for people to be able to lock into the calling and the purpose of their life. And Father, like roots that begin to go down into the soil, that Father, you're going to embed people into the thing that you want them to do. Father, I want to be so much like Jesus. I want to be in your presence. I want to know your voice more than anything else. I want to know when I put my head on the pillow every night that I've given every ounce of who I am for your kingdom purposes. Lord, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to start off like Mary and Joseph, captivated by the things of God, but then 12 years on, forgetting what you called us to do. So Lord, I pray today for vision to be released in people's lives. Lord, for you to hand tailor the things that you want these people to be doing so that, Father, there is no doubt. And Lord, where there's been aimlessness, Father, I pray for certainty. Where there's been confusion, Father, I pray for wisdom that comes from on high. Where there's been doubt, Father, I pray that there would be determination. Where there's been a lack of hope, Father, I pray for great expectation and anticipation over these people's lives. Thank you, Lord. I was trying to find the words of a, of a song and I couldn't find it. John said, Google it. And I tried that too and I couldn't find it. But um, the, there's a few lines that I did remember. And it says, Lord, dwell in my life. Be my consuming fire. I dedicate to you all this life that you've given me. Please take me on with you. Lord, dwell in my life. Be my consuming fire. I think it was this chart. I dedicate to you all this life that you've given me. Please take me on with you. The key is that we've got to dedicate our life to him. We've got to give our lives up for him, don't we? Thank you, God. It's like he says, well, I want to dwell in your life and I want to be your consuming desire. 
and that fire in your life, but I can't do it if you don't dedicate your life to me. If you don't truly dedicate every part of you to me, the Lord says, I can't consume you. I can consume you only a little bit, but we need to be people that have our whole lives dedicated to the Lord. Our mind, our body, our spirit, our soul, every part of us needs to be dedicated to him so he can consume us and consume us from the inside out. So I don't know about you guys, but I I feel like I just want to stand and make a declaration in my life and saying, I want to be someone that wants to dedicate my life to the Lord. I want to be someone who's known as consuming the the whole the wholeness of God and the fire of God. I want to be one that says, God, I'm willing to dedicate everything I am for you and for your glory. Everything that I am, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whoever you want me to be, that's dedication and that's dying to self. So if you feel the same way as me, why don't we stand and make that declaration before the Lord? I'm dedicating my life to you, God. I'm choosing today to dedicate my life to you and to you alone for your glory, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, here we are in this moment of time. In your presence. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And Father, it's our desire this morning that our lives would count for eternity. Lord, that you would see our response this morning. That our heart's desire is to follow, to surrender, to lay ourselves out like a living sacrifice. That you would find us holy and acceptable, Lord. Father, we want to go on with you. We want to ask your forgiveness, Lord, for the distraction, for the wasted time, for the things that have consumed us that are not pleasing to you. Father, we want to lay them at your feet and say, Lord, forgive us. Where we've fallen short, where we've been blinded. And Lord, bring us back to the heart of worship. Help us see like Jesus the the necessity to be about our Father's business. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds to the things that you have planned for us so that, Lord, we know for sure. As we celebrate this Christmas, God, fill our hearts with an amplified sense of your wonder and your awe and your goodness and your grace towards us, God. Thank you, God. Father, we dedicate our lives to you. We dedicate our finances to you. We dedicate our ears 
to You, to hear the things that You want us to hear. We dedicate our mouths to You, Lord, to speak and to say the things that You want us to say. We dedicate our eyes to You, Lord, to see what You would have us see. We dedicate our minds to be transformed by Your renewing power. Lord, we give give You our bodies today. We surrender them. And we say, take us on, Lord. Take us on. Thank you, God. Father, I pray that you would fill us today. Fill us afresh with desire and passion, with zeal for the things of God. And may it be like Jesus said, that zeal for your house, for your purposes consumed us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the hearts of these beautiful people. Thank you for their lives, God. Father, would you bless each and every one of them this week? Father, would you just break into their world and show yourself to be the great God that you really are? Father, I pray a blessing over each and every one today. That, Father, you would help them this week to rise above the things of this world, to go out from this place today with vigour in their hearts for you, to be men and women of wisdom, of stature, of great favour with you and favour with men. Lord, we just bless you today. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.